Hey, good morning, everyone. Glad to be here. I'm going to tell a story of a 19-year-old man. It's actually a true story. He took a summer job in an automotive factory. Um, it was the same company that his father and pretty much all of his uncles, even some of his aunts, all worked for. Not the same building, but the same company. And it was the, it was the job that he had sworn his entire life that he would never do. He would never become a, a factory rat, as we uh, affectionately called them. But the wage was five times anything he had ever made before. Uh, and it was just for one summer uh, during uh, uh, college years, or a summer off during college. Uh, as he hired in, he hired in with a group, but he made friends with another young guy about his same age. <clears throat> and uh, uh, they were working third shift. And so, you know, third shift, you go to work at 9 o'clock at night, and you get out at 7 a.m., and like uh, college people do at 7 a.m., after a long night's work, we, they would go out and get a few drinks. Uh, after a while, his buddy stopped showing up in the morning, and so he would just go back to the hotel and sleep it off and wait until the next shift, and he was a typical young American uh, just uh, doing life and drinking a lot and smoking various things and listening to rock and roll and trying to figure out what, uh, what meant what. Although he grew up in a nominal Christian home, by this time uh, that really had faded away. In fact, uh, he had very clearly denied his faith and had gotten wrapped up into Eastern mysticism and the culture, of course, the drug culture really uh, uh, fostered that. And mainly it was just about having fun and driving fast cars and drinking. Who is that? That was me 40 years ago. One night in that factory, my buddy showed up. Lenny was his name uh, that I hadn't seen in, in weeks and he was with another man, an older man, a Hispanic, a Mexican-American, uh, named Jaime. And Jaime was very eager to get to know me and was very quick to turn the conversation to things spiritual and asking me spiritual questions. I, like I said, I grew up in a nominal Christian home and went to a, a Lutheran grade school through eighth grade. So I knew a lot of scriptures. I knew religion. I knew how to answer religious Questions, but uh, the questions that Jaime asked me were different because they had to do with a person whose name was Jesus Christ. And uh, he got to a point where he asked me a question. He said, If you were to die tonight, where would you go? What he didn't know is that previous to going into work that evening, as I was, after I'd taken a shower, I was getting dressed to go to work. I had a vision, I had a trance, you can call it whatever you want, but I uh, saw in this vision, dream, or trance, whatever it may be, I wasn't using drugs, by the way, because I was in a town, I didn't know any contacts, and so I was just working. Um, I always want to clarify that, I wasn't on drugs, I hadn't been on drugs for weeks at this point, <laughs> and uh and what I saw in this, this dream 
was the face of a king. I knew it was a king because of the crown, but the, the brilliance of his face was so bright, I couldn't make out his features, his eyes, his nose, his mouth. It was just, just as bright as the sun with the crown, and in front of him was a two-edged sword, and it was coming directly toward me, and on each side of him was, were pillars covered with ivy. And I was afraid, and in my dream, I grabbed this wooden club I used to carry in my car uh, in case you got in a brawl. That's what high schoolers did back in the day where I grew up, anyway. Um, and uh, I looked down at this wooden club that was only about this big and this incredible, brilliant king with a giant sword coming at me, and I bowed down on one knee and said, I still think this is corny to this day, but this is what I said. I'm not here to conquer, I'm here to serve. And as soon as I said those words, I was lying on my bed in the hotel I was staying, shaking, covered with sweat. Uh, and I'd realized I'd have a, had a spiritual experience, but I had no idea what it meant. Well, that, that evening at work was when Jaime came and began to ask me questions about Jesus. And that evening he said, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And I answered him, and I said, well, I would go to heaven. And when I said that, we were on, on a break outside behind the factory. When I said I'd go to heaven, to myself, in my heart, I said, dude, you are halfway to hell already. But I didn't say that to Jaime. And Jaime said, oh, well, that's very interesting. Why? Why would you say that? Why do you, why do you believe that? And then I said... Because I'm honest. And I was lying. <laughs> and so Jaime said, wow, this is amazing. This is very good. You should have someone pray for you. Well, growing up, a nominal Christian, praying for someone just meant they went away. And so I was like, sure, go pray for me somewhere someday, sometime. I don't care. That'd be great. Pray for me, Jaime. Love it. He said, okay, as soon as we get off work in the morning. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come together and pray as we're out in the parking lot. I was like, like, together? <laughs> he said, yeah, he was really excited. I was like, okay, I'm cool. I'm hip. I'm a college student. Uh, <laughs> seven o'clock in the morning, we're walking out of the factory. This is a, a factory plant number one in uh, Lansing. It's now torn down. <clears throat> uh, but you walk out. And there's this, this massive parking lot. But across from the parking lot, there was a park that I'd never actually gone into. Couldn't see into the park. It's actually called Cooley Gardens. You can go there today if you'd like to. It's a really beautiful uh, flower garden. It's surrounded by these very tall 12, 15-foot hedges. And so as we were walking out in the parking lot, I was like, hey, let's go to the park and pray. If we're going to pray, let's go to somewhere pretty. And um, that was cool. As we were walking across the uh, parking lot, Jaime read this verse to me. It said, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And when he said this verse, I was already a little scared about praying with these strangers. And then he read this verse. I was like, how did he know about the vision I had, the two-edged sword, and that we have to give account? And seriously, I was like, okay, this is getting weird. And then as we walked to the park, they went around to the back. <clears throat> I went around to the front. 
The back gate was locked, but the front was open. I walked in and there was a gazebo type structure with pillars covered with ivy. And I turned to call them in and it hit me like a brick in the chest. This was a place where I had the vision, even though I'd never been there before. And then they walked, came around and walked in and Lenny and I were in, in the garden first, sitting down and cross-legged. And Jaime said, no, when you come before the Lord, you should kneel. And he knelt on one knee, just as I did in my vision. And at that point, uh, I realized something powerful was happening. I rolled forward. I was shaking and trembling. Jaime had the discernment to lead me in a salvation prayer. And I committed my life to Jesus and I've been serving him every day. That's how I became a disciple. <laughs> Changed my life. Changed my life. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus' life was all about uh, making disciples. We're starting a series called uh, New Day Flavor. And so things about New Day that kind of make us unique. And I wanted to start this off because my testimony of becoming a, uh, saved shaped me and shaped my view of Christianity and that, therefore, shapes us as a church. And we see this in Jesus' life in Matthew 4.18. Uh, this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It said, one day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, uh, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Like Jaime, in my life, Jesus went to where they were, where they were working. He got out into the real world, and he used language that they understood. Come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. He invited them into his life. It's interesting to note that I ended up living the rest of that summer with Jaime and his family, and spending every day uh, doing Bible studies and evangelizing and, and everything they did, I did. Going to church in this Hispanic church where I never spoke Spanish. I still barely can speak it. Uh, but uh, the Holy Spirit was present. Jesus didn't require immediate agreement to a bunch of doctrine when he called his disciples. He simply invited them into a relationship with him to learn about life. This is a big deal, folks. This is how Jesus did evangelism. Uh, he invited people into relationship with him to learn about how to do life. And it's the same principle that is taught when Jesus talked about the, the great banquet, the parable of the great banquet in Luke chapter 14. It says the master, Jesus was telling this, this parable, the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and to the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Going out to bring people in so that my house may be so that the house may be full is a kingdom principle. All right? And there's it's funny how some people get caught up in one or the other. Uh, and they think I, I have friends, and they are friends, they're believers that have gotten dis discouraged uh, and disillusioned with church and ch uh, church as we know it. And boy, they're just so into going to the streets and being missionaries that they actually don't think that people need to go to church anymore. 
and the Christians would just get out on the streets. But the principle is you go out to the streets and you call them in, into relationship and into his house, because God wants his house to be filled. Being the church is about going out and bringing in that same principle put into practice in our world today in the 21st century. And it looks different. You know, most of our communication is electronic now, and, and, uh, and, 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 and it's so different than it was back in Jesus' day. But figuring out how to do this, how to invite people into your life, and how to connect with them at their level, that's what discipleship was. Right after Jesus called Peter and Andrew, and right after they started following him, he goes and calls two other guys, James and John. And I think that Jesus wanted Peter and Andrew to see that following him was about calling others into the lifestyle of making disciples. Are, are, you, are you following this? All right. James, uh, Peter and Andrew signed up. We're Jesus' disciples. This is going to be great. A few minutes later, they're the old guys. You know, James and John are like, well, Peter and Andrew have been around for a while. They must know what's going on. They didn't know anything yet. All right? But Jesus wanted them to see that this is what it means to follow Christ, is calling people into that lifestyle. Too often we think that we preach the gospel until someone gets saved. And then once someone confesses Christ as Lord and Savior, then we disciple them. Uh, until they're, they're educated in the ways of Christianity. But Jesus didn't do ministry that way. <clears throat> Jesus' example was disciple them until they started discipling others. All right? It was quite a ways in to the gospel before uh, Peter finally acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah. He, they were already his disciples. Christianity is not about repeating a phrase. The altar call wasn't even a part of the Christian tradition until uh, there's some debate, the late 1700s, early 1800s. This idea of repeating a sinner's prayer. For, for all those hundreds and hundreds of many centuries previous, that didn't happen. But now we, as Americans, we think it's, that's the only way. It's not about repeating a phrase or agreeing to the creed, although that is an important thing. That's why we do it every month, is that that summarizes what we believe. In it. And, and to be a Christian, you do need to embrace these core beliefs. But it's a process that happens while doing life together. A Christianity is doing life together, inviting others into your life and sharing uh, in the lives of others. And throughout that process, Everyone becomes more like Jesus. You know, when I, when I counsel, when I minister, when I teach, I benefit as much, probably more, than you do. Because I challenge myself. When I'm counseling someone, often I struggle with this. Thing. I don't say, I'm, I'm, I'm just as bad as you are. But often I am. Or I have been. All right? Because this is doing life together. And we, and, we, and we lean and look to Jesus in the midst of that fellowship. <clears throat> Jesus said at the end of his ministry, so that was the beginning of his ministry, we see uh, how Jesus started his ministry of inviting people into relationship 
unto discipleship, unto salvation. And then we see the end of Jesus' ministry, Matthew 28. <clears throat> says Jesus came, this is, this is after the, uh, uh, all of Jesus' teaching, after he was arrested, after he was crucified uh, and buried, after he died for our sins on the cross and was resurrected uh, because he was sinless, the sinless son of God. The resurrection demonstrating his victory over sin, Satan, and death. Um, and this is right before the ascension. These are the last parting words of Jesus before his, uh, to his followers before he ascended. He said, um, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. I love that part because it's Jesus assuring them that he's going to do discipleship the same way that he did while he was here on earth, that he's present with them in this process of making disciples to the ends of the earth, even to the end of the age. This, of course, is known as the Great Commission. And this is the mission that Jesus assigned to his church. Making disciples is the primary mission of the church and therefore must be the primary mission of any local congregation and is the primary mission of New Day Community Church. Making disciples. Making disciples. A famous church uh, wrote out their, uh, uh, their mission statement as uh, making disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And one guy was so passionate about it, he wrote it out like, like a thousand pages. That's <clears throat> kind of a waste of time, but it's a good idea. <laughs> it's, it's the truth. It's, it's, it's making disciples. Listen, it, it doesn't get any more complicated than that. Unfortunately, we complicate it by adding in stuff that isn't part of making disciples. We add in, and uh, uh, we end up adding in distraction. You know, if the enemy can get us off of this uh, target by one degree, to where it's making disciples and convincing them of fill in the blank, eventually the church ends up because you start off just a little bit off, but after a few years, a few decades, a few generations, you're way off mark. And we have to stay true to the mission that the head of the church has commissioned to the church, and that is to make disciples. And making disciples is more than just convincing someone uh, to accept Jesus as Lord. Of course it involves that. <clears throat> but it also involves every aspect of leading someone from being a non-Christian or a nominal Christian to a fully mature, reproducing Christ follower. I am so glad that Jaime, on that morning in that garden, after I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, didn't put a little check mark in the back of his Bible saying, well, I got another person saved. Be warm and filled. You know, maybe you should find a church. No, he, he not only stayed in my life, he invited me into his home. And over the course of that summer and that following year, uh, I was discipled, I was taught. I got plugged into this church and the former founding pastor, Ken Norberg, 
taught me a whole bunch more because <laughs> he was really skilled at Bible knowledge. And, 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 and so it, I accepted Jesus, but we can't leave uh, Christian orphans. They must be brought into a congregation. And that's the purpose of the church, a, a spiritual family that nurtures them, that takes them from the point of saying, wow, maybe this is real, to learning how to be a fully mature Christian. And so this making disciples involves everything we do at uh, New Day. It's our weekend services, it's our children's ministry, it's a healing and restoration counseling ministry, it's worship. Uh, what else do we do? Discipleship, small group studies, community groups, outreach events, everything, fellowship time, everything we do uh, is part of the process of doing life together and making disciples of all the nations, all right? Making disciples, what's our vision? To make disciples. Who decides that? Jesus. How do we do it in our day, in our context? That's the challenge we have to figure out because every church is different. How we do it in Kalamazoo is different than how we do it in Vandalia, let alone Japan or Thailand or South Carolina. How we do it and how you fit in is the question I want you to, to consider. Merrily mentioned the serve teams, and that's one way you fit in. All of those different ministries and all of those different things, uh, and, and this includes not only planned programs that the church does, but inviting people over to your house uh, uh, before they're a Christian or when they're a Christian. It doesn't matter. Going out to eat with them, having coffee, having conversations that are real. All of us must participate in many of these activities, but all of us also need to specialize in one or a few of them. Does that make sense? So to be part of New Day, to be in tune and online with this vision, the fulfillment of this vision, means that you're participating in these activities because these activities are honed and we really work hard to uh, make them unto the purpose of reproducing Christ followers, making disciples. Church was never meant to be a spectator sport, all right? It's about getting into the game. But this game's for real, and it has eternal consequences. The second aspect of our, our vision, our ministry, and our flavor, and the emphasis of New Day, making disciples is the first part. The second aspect is multiplying churches. And Jesus said this in, in Matthew 16, um, uh, says, uh, now I say to you, uh, this is when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he, and he asked them, you know, wh who do people say that I am? You know, what are you hearing from the crowds? And different people had different ideas. He was one of the prophets that had come back from the dead and this or that. But Peter uh, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter said that, <clears throat> Jesus said, now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not uh, conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I don't know if you realize the extent of the authority that Jesus includes in this phrase simply by the confession of faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. Like Peter finally got it. 
And Jesus said, you know, you didn't figure that out. The Father convinced you of that. And on the basis of that, I will build my church. This is the first time in the Bible the word church, ecclesia, is used. And it means a public gathering of those called out unto a purpose. And so when we gather, and it's important to gather, and I'm glad that we're able to gather to some degree, even though in this pandemic we're limited, uh, and we need to be thankful and grateful, not complaining, because over the centuries, churches have been far, far more limited than what we're experiencing. Uh, Whether they be limited because of persecution, that if they get caught, they were executed or limited because of uh, serious plagues where people were dying in the street. So yeah, this is inconvenient, but let's be thankful and grateful that we can still gather, and there will be a time when we will be able to gather again and, and celebrate as we have in times past. But the idea of gathering together as a church or uniting together, even if we're not in the same place at the same time, is what the church is. And Jesus said that is what he's going to build. Jesus never said he would build anything else. There's nothing else in Scripture. There is no plan B. There's no other agency that has the authority from heaven to release. When Jesus said what you release on earth will be released in heaven, what you bind on earth will be bind in heaven, he hasn't given that authority to any other entity other than the church, and we are the church. That's powerful, saints. It's a little step more multiplying churches. Let's let's look at the heart Jesus has for his church from Ephesians chapter 5. And this verse is almost always quoted in the context of doing a teaching on marriage, but it's actually a teaching on Jesus and the role of and who the church is in relationship to Jesus. Marriage was the comparison so that we could understand it more. I want us to look at this as as a teaching about the church, which is you and I and Jesus. Says Christ loved the church, the ecclesia. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she should be holy and without fault. This is why Jesus died on the cross, is to obtain this glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. To Jesus, church is more than just a gathering, a meeting, a group of people. It's the embodiment of his bride. And just keep this in mind. As an individual Christian is not the bride of Christ. You cannot be the bride of Christ unless you're gathered together in unity, in spirit, with the church. The bride of Christ is the church, the unified Uh, gathering of all the church that spans not only the whole world but all through time and as we gather together as congregations whether it be in a building or whether it be online or whether it be in prayer we're all praying the same thing we're all studying the same things in our bibles we're unified and that's when we actually function as christ's bride Individually, you're a son or daughter, and you're equally important as any other son or daughter 
in God's eyes. But listen, to be the bride, you have to be joined. You have to be in unity. Because Jesus loves that. There's something about that, that Jesus loved to the point of being willing to die. And in this unity is how we as believers represent the bride of Christ worldwide. Real quickly, we see this unfold through the book of Acts as uh, the church is established and rapidly grows uh, outside of Jerusalem, expanding into the uh, other regions, eventually reaching all the way to Europe. The epistles, all the letters in the New Testament, they're written to the churches or to church leaders about how to make the church holy and without fault. They're all about equipping and maturing the church. And then the final uh, book of the Bible, the Revelation, is about the triumphant conclusion of the story when Christ returns in the, at the end to live in resurrection and glory with who? With his bride, the church. Right? So the church and multiplying churches, Jesus is really passionate about that. Right? That's what he's building. And it's a direct result. There's a connection between making disciples and, ma- and multiplying churches. Because as you make disciples, you raise people up and develop them and equip them. And, and some of them, only a few, some of them are called to be sent out and to reproduce churches. And, and that's how it's worked for 2,000 years. Paul would go into a city find a few disciples, disciple them, train them up, send them to the neighboring cities where they'd find a few disciples. Then they'd come back and give a report. Jesus did the same thing with with his disciples. Paul learned it from Jesus, and people have been doing it ever since. And that's why half of the population of planet Earth uh, call themselves Christians, because people like you have been faithful to do the things that make church church. So as a church, New Day, our flavor, our vision, we're more interested in reproducing churches than just getting bigger. I want, I want this congregation to grow. I, I've been working on it for a long time. Maybe some of you have noticed. <laughs> you know, the larger we are, the better we can support other churches. So I'd love this church to break through the 300 barrier. We've been up to 250, 280, and we've gone down and come up and gone. We need to get past that so we can do more. But we're, we're not so consumed about our size that we're waiting to start other churches. In fact, only about 5% of churches in, the, in North America has, have ever started another congregation. Yet we've started one about every five years since I've been the pastor. And that was a vision I uh, shared when I first became a pastor and I gathered the first leadership team uh, over 20 years ago. I said, you know, about every five years, I'd like to start another church. And we've kind of kept up that pace with Grand River and, and Grand Rapids and, and New Day, South Carolina. Uh, Vandalia and Vine kind of were like twins. Uh, uh, they, they didn't start exactly the same time, but they kind of overlapped. Uh, Vandalia is going into their uh, sixth or seventh year, and Vine is going into their fifth year. And uh, just last week, we sent out the McKees, not to start a New Day church, but to be part of a church planning organization in Detroit. And so we continue to support that. Multiplying churches is part of our DNA, and it makes us an exceptional church because uh, less than 5% of churches have ever figured out. Can you imagine being part of a church that's 150 years old, and they've never started another church? I don't know what I would do there. 
you know? Uh, I love that we can raise up and send out, but the bigger we are and the stronger we are as a church, the better we can support and, and, and influence our city. Additionally, through Partners in Harvest, which uh, is, is now uh, uh, basically is, doesn't exist anymore, and we've started a new international network called Harvest Alliance. You can talk to me about that, uh, which is a worldwide network of churches uh, that's grown out of our relationship with churches all over the world. And Kaleo Ministries with Josh Muse. Uh, I do two or three schools a year. I uh, did one just a few weeks ago in Tennessee training people on how to start churches. So we as a church, uh, not only me, but Mark and, and Graham and others have, have been going down there. Uh, Kathy Spaulding's been active down there in uh, raising up others to plant churches. It's, it's who we are, making disciples and multiplying churches. What is New Day about? This is one of the big flavor ingredients. This is the spice that we want, we're talking about today. It's about making disciples and multiplying churches out of a passion for Jesus. And it's really important that we understand this is, our, this is the goalpost that we're aiming for. This is a win. It's a win every time someone becomes a Christ follower. It's a win every time someone comes to church that hasn't come to church before. We have people come here frequently, and, and they'll say, this is actually the first time I've been in church in years, or this is the first time I've ever been in church. Uh, whether or not they accept Jesus at that point, that's a win. It's a win if you make, have a conversation with someone that is distant from God, that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't know the Father loves them, that is caught up, that is me, that where I was in that factory, uh, a, high, uh, a college student disconnected with the truth of Christianity, and someone uh, came up and just started talking to me about Jesus. That, folks, is a touchdown, all right? That's a win. And if, of course, if they accept Jesus Christ and they get baptized, that's a win, if they get plugged into a community group, if they get uh, a serving on a, on a serve team, that's a win. Why? Because that's making disciples. If someone has a conflict with someone else in the church and they're willing to resolve that conflict through biblical principles, that's a complete win. All right? Because that's making disciples. That's, 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 that's making them the church uh, uh, working out the blemishes, uh, softening the wrinkles, right? It's making the church beautiful. And then multiplying churches that, that uh, uh, as we work to support missions and, and the occasional sending people out, but uh, uh, financially supporting, supporting in prayer, working to multiply churches, not only ourselves, but I encourage uh, church leaders in our region that aren't connected. If I find someone's planning a church, I'll take them out and have coffee and encourage them and hear their story. All of that flows, and this is really important, I'm going to end with this, is it flows out of a passion for Jesus. This is not just a Christian to-do list, all right? This is not just something we do to make ourselves holy or to make ourselves qualified to go to heaven or obligation Oh, I have, to be, I have to be involved in making disciples. No, it's because Jesus died for us. It's because this is what Jesus did. Because we see this is how Jesus lived. 
And if we're Christ followers, we want to be passionate for Jesus. And we display that passion by living our lives like Jesus. And that means making disciples. That's the focus. That's the goal. What are you doing to make a disciple? Whether it's making them move that one step from being an atheist to agnostic. Atheist doesn't believe God exists. Agnostics think, if God exists, I don't know who it is. That's one step in the right direction. To them, seeing your love of them to the point where they're willing to listen to you more, or even maybe come to this meeting you call church. What are you doing to teach a child in one of the Sunday school classes, you know, something about the Bible that they didn't know before? Or joining with a friend and praying with them when they're struggling through an issue. All of that is making disciples because you're passionate for Jesus. And, and you know, when you get tired of doing that, don't beat yourself up and say, I just need to get better at doing it. No, you need to turn back and say, why, am, why do I do that to begin with? And go to Jesus and, and get refueled with the passion of Jesus. Get your tank filled up with Holy Spirit passion. So that it's Jesus doing it through you. Amen? All right, so this is our goal, Paul. So I just wanted to clarify that in this series. The next few weeks, we're going to look at some other distinguishing characteristics that make us uh, unique, that, we, that, that really flavor uh, what New Day is. I'm going to have Pastor Mary Lee come up and close this service. Thank you so much. God bless you.